Easter, and I suppose if there's one service in the year that you'll come to, tonight's the one, isn't it really? Or Sunday? Or Christmas, that'd be another good one you could make. Um, so if you're a first-timer here, or you're a regular, welcome. Tonight I want to begin by telling you a little story. Michelle and I, my wife down the front here, went to New Zealand before Christmas, and one of the reoccurring sites that continued to really impress us was the image of kind of these lakes that were milky aqua blue and with amazing kind of mountain rocky snow-capped mountains in the background and we're told that the um because i'm a bit interested for these things you know that the water is that color because of the glacial kind of melt and the snow kind of melting into these glaciers uh, into these lakes anyway every time i'd see these lakes I don't know what it is in me, but I get this urge to go for a swim and I just want to get in that water because it looks so nice and inviting. Well, eventually I got my wish and uh, we're at a place called Wanaka. If anyone's been to New Zealand, it's a lovely place and it's got the typical lake, aqua blue, and in the background these beautiful rocky snow-capped mountains. And, you know, I got the chance to have a swim. And I thought what I'd do is I'd begin the day with a quick dip, you know, and then... You know, I'll be all, all set for the day. So we pulled up in the car next to this lake and um, you know, got out, kind of basked in the sun for a moment, all eight degrees of sun that was getting through. And, um, you know, had my swimming gear on already and just ran into the water. And now, I'm not sure if I really made a connection between the glacial and the snow melting into this lake <laughs> or what the, what the thing was. Because I've been in some pretty cold water but this one uh, kind of topped it off. I reckon I hadn't taken my fourth step into that water before my feet were going numb. And then I thought oh, I'd have a quick dip, jumped in the water, got my head under it and had a, you know, swam around a bit and, you know, it was great. I got out and I was just like, woo! I was excited. It's like, it's invigorating. And I love it. And every time there's cold water to be got into, you know, if it's an ocean or if it's a lake or a river... I just want to jump in the water, you know, because when I do, I feel alive and I get out and I feel alive. I get out of the water and the blood's pumping, presumably because I'm just trying to heat my body temperature up again. But I love it and I feel alive. When do you really feel alive? Now, it might be the same weird thing. You might actually like getting into really cold water and go, you know, having your alive buzz. Or you might feel alive if you're with your family, you know, and you enjoy watching your children play. Or you might feel alive even when you're working. Some of you might feel alive when you're leaving the office, you know. <laughs> or maybe you're on a boat fishing, you know, for those of you who like fishing. Or chatting with good friends. Or playing sport. Maybe that's when you feel alive. And we don't need to make the experience all positive either. Some of us actually might feel alive when life really sucks. I hope I'm allowed to say that. We might have some negative experience, you know, like maybe a loved one dies and then we kind of know we're alive. Well, I reckon we're all living and we know it and there are some times when we feel especially alive. But tonight I want to ask you the question, are you really living? Are you really alive? Physically, every one of us here are alive. But the Bible, God's word, would beg to differ. It says that some of us aren't actually 
fully alive. God's word says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. It's Ephesians 2. Whoa, back you say, it's Easter. Come on, let's not get too serious. But please humor me just for a moment. Stick with me just for a moment. Because if you realize you're dead, that you're spiritually dead, there's a way to have life. But you have to first recognize where you are now. Because the resurrection, which is all about today, is not just for Jesus. It's for all of us, if you want it. John 10.10 says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So I ask you that question again. Are you really living? Dave's going to read for us now. Thanks, Dave. Reading tonight from uh, John chapter 20, verses uh, 24 to 31. This is when Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's my hope that by looking at this passage tonight, you'll find out whether or not... How is that for rudeness? That's terrible. (laughs) Hang on, I'll just... I was basically God warning me about heresy, I think. (laughs) Maybe not. How's that for good? All right. It's my hope today that the phone won't ring again. And that by looking at this passage, you'll find out whether or not you're living or not, that you're really living, and that you'll find out the way to have life. Firstly, though, let's kind of go behind this passage. Let's, I want to give you a bit of a context, a bit of a background for our story today. We're at the climax of Jesus' life. You know, the one task Jesus has resolutely set himself to do the aim of his life on earth, the main event even that God has given the Father, God the Father has commissioned Jesus to do while he's here and he's just been put to death by crucifixion on a cross, the climax. And it's this death that he had to die. This death or death, or death for us, that was supposed to be our punishment 
for our rejection of God. But God in his mercy sends his son and he dies our death instead of us. This is a climax of Jesus' life, the very reason he came to live a life on earth. And you can imagine what went down amongst his followers, the 12 disciples, being with him for the last three years, and they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, they'd seen his power. You know, they'd seen him uh, you know, heal the lame and the sick. They'd seen him kind of raise people from the dead, you know, control over the natural elements even. As he calmed a storm, you know, they thought that he was going to reign over the earth and kind of like an earthly king. And the best thing about this was that they were followers of Jesus too, and that they would get to be a part of this glory. So when he gets strung up on the cross and he dies, they're totally devastated. When Jesus gets falsely accused and condemned to death, they just felt totally lost. What's going on? The plan's gone wrong. But as we know, this is not the sad conclusion to the story. Um, Because three days later, the disciples hear some strange news. Firstly, a couple of Jesus' followers, they go to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and they find it empty. And secondly, Mary Magdalene, who was also a follower of Jesus, has the audacity to come and tell the disciples that she's even seen Jesus and spoken to him since his death. He's actually, you know, clearly the disciples are thinking she's off a rocker, out of her mind, overcome with grief. But not too long, um, in the disciples' eyes, Mary Insano Magdalene has told them this little story that Jesus is alive. He actually appears. And if you know the story, the disciples are up in a, uh, you know, an upper room of a house and it's locked because they're fearing that the Jews who killed Jesus might kill them as well. So then Jesus appears, and they're like, this is amazing. And the disciples rejoice. You betcha they did. Not even the most horrible death could hold Jesus down. Jesus is the Son of God. Even death has no power over Jesus. And the disciples, initially cynical about Jesus you know, rising to life, is now rejoicing because they know he's alive. All the disciples, that is, except for Thomas, because he wasn't there. There you go. That's the background. Now you're in the loop. What's going on? Well, let's read. Let's have a look at um, the first couple of verses, verses 24 and 25. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas has the need for proof. He needs real, tangible, touchable proof before he can believe that Jesus is alive, that he's actually risen from the dead. And the disciples, they've seen him, seen Jesus the night before, and they excitedly tell Thomas the news. He isn't dead anymore, he's risen. And you might think at this point that Thomas might kind of get into their excitement, but he actually responds coldly. He doesn't believe what they've just told him. His response is unbelief. In fact, he's so determined 
He's adamant that he will not believe unless he has proof. And the proof he requires, none other than seeing and touching the risen Lord Jesus. That's what he needs. So verse 25 again reads, He said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But before we get too harsh towards Thomas, I just want to point out that when the disciples met Jesus the night before, they, their initial response was not belief. They actually needed to kind of touch him or see the, the wounds. So they doubted until they could actually see his wounds. Thomas, just as the other disciples did, needs proof to believe that Jesus is really alive, resurrected after being killed by crucifixion. Now, at this point, I don't think it's just Thomas and his disciples that need proof. I reckon it's exactly the same for us today. You know, we as people are naturally a little bit cynical, aren't we? We need proof if we're going to believe in anything. I want you to think about this question, though. Why do we need proof that something is right or proof in order to believe? I reckon um, one of the big reasons is that we're a product of our world. We're a product of the culture we live in. And in this I mean that our world is full of peddlers, people trying to sell us their product, who twist the truth, lie, in order to sell their wares. Let's take exercise machines, for example. If you want to have a fit and healthy body, we are told it's the thigh buster. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, no. Damn tell I've got another one now. It's the Abtronic. Or, one I made up myself, the Musculator 5000. <laughs> In four weeks, you'll get a fit and healthy body or your money back. None of them work. None of them will give you a fit and healthy body in that kind of time. But our culture is full of people who twist the truth and who can't be trusted unless they somehow prove their trustworthiness. Now, even if we think of ourselves, we at times will be untrustworthy. You know, we'll say we'll do something, and then, you know, we kind of don't stick to our word. So I think we need proof, partly because we're in a world, um, the culture we live in, you know, imperfect people. And imperfect people includes us. We find it hard to trust. We need proof in order to believe. Has anyone seen that ad on television um, for the product that's called A Little Bit of Headache Relief? Has anybody seen that ad? I don't know what the go with that is. We see a man with an obvious headache, looking very distressed, and then he gets some stuff that looks a lot like lip gloss. (laughs) And then he rubs it on his temple. Here we are. And all of a sudden, what do you know? The headache's gone. Fantastic. I don't believe it myself. You know, and I say, show me the proof. Prove to me that lip gloss rubbed on your temples will take away your headache. Sorry if you've bought that product and it works. <laughs> in our sin-stained world, full uh, in our sin in our sin-stained world, people are imperfect, and we try very hard to we find it very hard to believe what people say. We need proof so that we can believe them. And so I think we're just like Thomas. 
who was not going to believe that Jesus was real just because someone told him. Well, a week passes by and we read in verse 26 that his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And at this point, I'm really not too sure what Thomas was thinking about. The week preceding this moment would have been filled with the disciples reminiscing you know, over how they felt when Jesus appeared to them. How they moved from devastation on one hand to like immense excitement and hope because he was alive. All the while, Thomas would have just been thinking about it. What's going on? Now, no doubt the other disciples would have this time immediately recognised Jesus and would have been used to, although very impressed, with this little party trick of appearing through solid walls. Well, whatever Thomas is thinking about, Jesus speaks directly to Thomas. Verse 27 has Jesus say to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas gets the proof he wants, but it comes with a rebuke. Jesus, who has been nailed to the cross and speared in his side, shows himself to Thomas, shows his broken body. And Thomas believes. And he cries out, my Lord and my God. Thomas sees and Thomas believes. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is Lord, he is King, he is God, and he is alive. Jesus calls for Thomas to stop doubting and believe that he is risen. To believe the words the other disciples have just told him, who have already told him that he was alive. So we see proof, but proof comes with a rebuke. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong, right, with doubting. Especially in a world where so many things are put to us as the right thing. The right thing to buy. The right thing to use to get fit. Or the right way to have a fulfilled life. When clearly lots of these things, they're counterfeit. They're wrong and they're false. And the Bible in Thessalonians even tells us this. It says, test everything. But what we see here for Thomas is Jesus rebuking him for doubting the words of his disciples. Those God has just appointed to proclaim the good news. So Paul recommends in Thessalonians to test um, what people say. So that's good. Because what they say is not always going to be right because people are not perfect. They are stained by sin. God, on the other hand, though, is totally faithful, totally trustworthy, totally perfect God knows everything and his way is perfect a couple of examples Psalm 18 30 says as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is flawless Psalm 22 verse 4 says in you um, this is David talking in you God our fathers put their trust they trusted and you delivered them They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. God is trustworthy. So where people are often not trustworthy, you can totally trust God. And therefore you can totally trust what he has to say 
in the Bible, in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 reads, All scripture is inspired by God. Now God, the all-powerful creator of the world, he will let nothing happen to his word. No error, no lie, nothing untrustworthy will enter into it. Now our problem, I think, is that because we are people who find it difficult to trust other people, often for good reason, but not always, because we have grown up in a culture where people have often failed us, we then assume that God is the same. But God's not untrustworthy just because people are untrustworthy. God and his word are totally trustworthy. And you can believe everything you read and hear about from his word. We can't put what we think about people as untrustworthy onto God. Because God's perfect. Jesus, we go on, then says to Thomas in verse 29, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We are told here that Thomas has been able to believe in the risen Jesus because he has actually physically seen him. But there are those who will come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is Lord without seeing him. So where Thomas has needed physical, tangible, touchable proof to come to believe, Jesus says that there will be other people who will simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he indeed is Lord. And for this belief... Um, Jesus says that they are blessed. And there are many people here who've come to faith in Jesus because they've, without seeing him, and uh, we are blessed. Thomas receives proof enough to believe, but Jesus says those without physical proof who don't need that are greatly blessed. But let me tell you that this is not blind faith. There is credible evidence that exists. God has given us his word, the Bible. Pause. <laughs> Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe. The author of the book, John, has written these things down so that we might believe. Words inspired by God, he has written them down that we might believe. Believe what, you ask? Great question. Verse 31 at the end says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, that word, Christ, it's the Greek or Messiah in the Hebrew. It's often both in like, different translations of the Bible. It's a bit of a funny one, and I think we've heard it probably many times. And what it means is God's anointed one. That is, the one God has set apart to do his work. And the work God has set apart for Jesus to do, what God has anointed Jesus to do, is to bring life to people who are dead. He's anointed Jesus to save people from their sins. The Son of God component means that Jesus as Son of God is equal with God. He is God. John 5.18 reads, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews didn't like it when he called himself the Son of God. They thought it was blasphemy. Jesus, as Son of God, is equal with God. He is God. 
So let's read verse 31 with that in mind. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But there is a purpose to this information we're hearing. You know, we're not just uh, reading this to gain some interesting knowledge for a Christian trivia night. The purpose is crucial for everyone's existence. Now, you might be at church tonight for the first time. You might be at church for the 1,000th time. So listen up, because this could be very relevant to you. The end of verse 31 reads, These are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Don't just hear the good news and store it in a knowledge bank. Believe in Jesus and have life. Now, lots of us think we're living. We get in that freezing cold water life situation and we feel invigorated. We feel alive. But the reality is that if we haven't come to believe in Jesus as the Christ, if we haven't put our trust in the Son of God, we're not. We are actually spiritually dead in our sins. It might not feel like this, but it is a reality because God says it. We can trust him to be telling us the truth. In the US, um, prisoners on death row, they await their death for the crimes they have committed. And as they make that final walk from their cell to where they'll receive that final lethal injection, they are called dead man walking. They're not dead yet but they're as good as. If you haven't come to truly believe in Jesus, you're a spiritually dead man or a spiritually dead woman walking. That's That's the sad truth. But, that's good, there's a but. John 3, 17 points out, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him today if you're here and you hear his voice and the heaviness of God is is beckoning you if you feel that heaviness of God calling you don't harden your hearts don't push God away come to him and have life verse 31 these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving you may have life in his name. That's good news. It's very, very, very good news. Hear and believe and have life in Jesus' name. The story of Thomas stands as a great lesson for us today. Thomas, like all of us, have this need for proof. We need proof before we can believe in something. But we are told through Thomas to stop doubting in the word of God. Don't transfer your distrust of people onto a perfect God who is totally trustworthy. We are challenged, here, um, to, we are challenged to hear and believe God through his word and have life in Jesus' name. It's amazing news. I don't know how to kind of put that across. Life in Jesus' name. If you're a believer um, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you, the good news is, you're alive. 
You're spiritually alive. Let's find our life inside Jesus, not looking outside, because it doesn't exist outside of Jesus. And as believers, we can totally trust what God has to say to us in his word. And so when we open the Bible up, we read the word and it says, God loves us. You know, or it says, God has given us his spirit you know, to help us walk with him, to give us the strength to live for him. And when it says that our resurrection at the last day, get that, resurrection, we're rising to a new and better place, that's assured. We, in all those things, can totally trust God. We can totally trust it. Trust God as a believer and live for the one who does not yet believe in Jesus. It also means that you can totally trust God. Totally trust him, what he says about Jesus. And that if you believe in Jesus and turn away from rejecting God, you can have life. Put your trust in Jesus today and start living. Spiritually living. God will give you his spirit, it says in the word, and he'll help you start living for him. You'll have the assured hope that one day you will die a physical death, but like Jesus, you will rise to new life. You'll be in the true and real paradise, in the presence of a perfect and loving God. So I ask you the question again Are you really living? Let's pray, hey? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to um, thank you for what you've done on this day 2,000 odd years ago, for your death and your resurrection, and that here in your word you say you are offering us life through belief in Jesus' name. So God, I pray that for each one of us here, Lord, that if you're, if you're burdening us, if your weight, heavy weight is upon us, Lord, if you're calling for our heart to cry out to you, God, that you will help us to say, yes, Lord, yes, I want to believe in you, Jesus. I want to live for you. I want to start living today. And God, if we are believers, Lord, and we haven't been living for you or we find it really hard to trust in you, God, please, Help us to trust in you, God. Help us to trust in you and, and have life. And in these things, Lord, we, we pray and we give you thanks for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we have two delightful ladies who are going to witness for their Lord in baptism. They have discovered the kind of life that Phil's been talking to us about tonight. And uh, their witness is going to inspire us and to challenge us to keep on walking with the risen Saviour. Jackie Telford and Alison Burns are about to witness for their Lord in baptism. And Alison is going to share her story with us. And I ask you to give them both a very warm welcome as they take this step of obedience.
Hi, my name is Alison Burns. I have come before you, the family of God, to declare my love for Jesus Christ. I have been coming to this church now for over five years. I have sat and listened to so many moving and amazing testimonies, some that I could relate to and others that just made me cry for the people telling them. It really touches your heart to see the amazing way that God works in people's lives. I didn't come from a Christian home as a child. I did, however, attend Sunday school regularly, but was dropped at the door. As an early teenager, I joined a small youth group on a Friday night, but that somehow became less frequent, and thinking back, I don't think I actually had any Christian friends then. I met my now husband when I was a teenager, and he became my rock during the struggles of growing up. I became distant and less dependent on Jesus. I was unaware that he is in control and has a plan for my life mapped out. I come to church with my two boys, but not with my husband, as he has not yet found the missing piece to his heart through the Holy Spirit. My prayer and God's plan is that he will one day come to know that Jesus loves us and died to save us, that by his unconditional love, grace and mercy, we are cleansed from all sin. I've always prayed, prayed to God for as long as I can remember and always began my prayer with, Dear God, please protect all the children and animals around the world. What a big ask for an opening request. However, I know that no request or prayer is ever too big to ask. I would pray through the good times, being thankful for the good that was in my life and even in the bad and hard times, growing up a teenager in an unhappy household. I find that more and more often I am praying constantly for the right decision and answers to daily situations, asking for the Lord to give me the strength and show me the right way. Prayer has provided me with so many correct answers and directions that I would not have come up with or found on my own. Only God, who listens to all we ask of him, provides that. I now have a better understanding of God's plan and purpose for my life. This has been made so very clear during the 40 days of purpose. As I reflect on my journey of becoming a Christian, I was growing at a crawling pace in comparison to the large leaps that I am currently taking. My new Christian friends are awesome, and taking that first step into a small group was the second best decision I've made recently. The first was to accept that I need to be obedient to Jesus and be baptised as he was. Thank you. Thank you, Alison, for your word of testimony. And I want to ask both of you, Jackie and Alison, believing as you do that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, can I ask you, have you accepted him as your personal saviour? Yes, I have. May God bless you both as you follow the saviour through the waters of baptism, knowing that he will be with you all the way. God bless you. Thank you. It's um, so wonderful to hear uh, again and be reminded that God is a God who can be trusted. He's not like uh, people that you might hear or advertisements that you might learn about. But God is someone who can be trusted. His word is true. It's been wonderful to hear that clearly spoken to us that what God says he'll do, he'll do, and he can do it in your life. He can be trusted. He's someone you can give your whole life to. You can surrender 
your whole life to God. It's been wonderful to witness these people being baptised tonight, saying, God, um, I'm yours. I just want to obey you. I want to do whatever you would have me do. And tonight as they've gone under and as they've been pulled up, it's symbolising I'm just saying goodbye to the old life and I'm living a new life in you. I wonder tonight, maybe you've sensed God saying, yes, it's time for me. I want to give my life to you, God. Maybe for the very first time in your life, you've come to a point and you think, yes, God, I want to become a friend of yours. It could be tonight that you've realised that you've said yes to God and you want to publicly do that through baptism. Well, tonight's a great time to respond. Why don't we just pray tonight? And if you'd like to receive Jesus into your heart, if you'd like to trust in him as your saviour tonight, this is a great time to do that. And if you're wanting to, tonight to commit to, to follow him in obedience and be baptised too, then we can pray a prayer like that too. Why don't you just pray and say yes with me if that's your heart tonight. Let's pray. God, it's so great. So great to know that you're one that we can trust in. You're trustworthy. And tonight as I pray, God, I ask that you give those that you're speaking to tonight the courage to respond to you. In these moments, you might like to just pray this prayer silently with me. Well, Jesus, I, I trust in you. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you that you rose again. Lord Jesus, I realise I've lived my own way. I've done things wrong. I've turned my back on you. But tonight, I ask you to be my Lord, my Saviour. I ask you to be in control of my life. I want you to be my friend from this day on. And it may be tonight that you want to say to God, I just want to do everything that you're calling me to. You might want to pray this prayer. God, I want to follow you in all that I do for the rest of my days. And I want to respond by being baptised tonight, God. Thank you for being so trustworthy, my God. Amen. It's just a simple card in your new sheet tonight. On the front, it's got all you the details uh, of your name and address. And we'd love everyone to fill that out tonight. But on the back, it's got my decision today. If your decision is receiving Jesus Christ into your life for the first time, if you pray that prayer, it'd be great just to tick that. And if you've ticked, if you want to tick tonight, I want to be baptised. We've got it'd be great just to tick that, and we've got classes coming up in just a couple more weeks. Why don't we take just a moment of quietness to fill out that card now? There should be one in your new sheet and just uh, hopefully everyone will have a chance. If you don't have a pencil, just put your hand up now and that will come through. What is generous to us, you're good to us. 
And we give now back to you saying thanks. Take all that we give, uh, our money, our time, our resources, and our commitments as we put those in the offering too. Take it all, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.